I'm upset, Sindhu. I'm really, really upset. Why, Nikhil? What happened? I just feel like every time I open the paper these days, there's a new scandal that's happening on the internet. Either it's Facebook losing a data, or Google signing up for a contract that no one expected, or you know, Amazon treating its workers like crap. The internet is just not what it used to be, and I feel like I'm gonna have to say goodbye to it today. Whoa, whoa, whoa! That's quite intense and extreme. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah. Hi, I'm Sindhuri Nandakumar. Hi, I'm Nikhil Venkatesa. And we're two writers just trying to figure out our shit. And this is Creating Life, a podcast about well, life, the creative process, and being brown in the 21st century. Okay, so let's get to business. Nikhil, what's got you so down about the internet that you're thinking about quitting it? Well, Sindhu, I just feel like my relationship with the internet has changed so much in the last ten years. I mean, don't you remember when the internet used to be this amazing, hopeful, optimistic place, when you know uh, anything was possible? You know, the way that we spoke about the internet and the promise that it showed. was like how people are talking about blockchain now that it has the potential to change every industry and what we've seen in the last 10 years is that it has um mm. but at the same time uh it's things have taken a turn for the worse yeah but don't you i mean like i feel like 10 years ago i was also more hopeful and optimistic but yes the internet has changed so much and 10 years ago what i used it for was msn chatting with all the boys i had a crush on but what is it like what was your first memory of the internet you're a little younger than i am yes. so not as wise mm-hmm. but walk me through your I early mean, okay. <laughs> through your early memories well you know my first interaction with the internet i just remember um in the early 2000s because uh, i was born in 95 of creating my first email account so my dad created a yahoo mail and uh, we were in the us at that time so mail.com mm-hmm. uh, a .com uh, extension uh, email address um and then after that my granddad created a gmail account for me and he also customized a password that he thought would be foolproof against any hacker so it had this weird combination of letters and numbers that i had to memorize over and over again <laughs> otherwise i'd forget the password and i'd get locked out of my account so he gave me a slip of paper with the password and he was like this is your password and uh, i think he gave that to me in about 2005 2006 and i've not changed my password since not had any issues fingers crossed um but then uh, after that you know uh, my experience with the internet has been one of and i think a lot of indian kids feel this way where the internet gave us access to a lot of things that we didn't have in our household so a lot of the tv shows and movies um that we ended up seeing uh, on our computer screens as we were growing up a lot of stuff from hollywood those were the kinds of shows that weren't available immediately on tv so and and a lot of that stuff also wasn't legally available to us right i mean we torrented our way through our teenage years and that's how we caught up on pop culture yeah exactly i mean i and i grew up in sri lanka so just think of i don't know like one tenth of the number of channels that were available in india i think the early 2000s and what about your internet speed what was that like back then pretty slow 
the dial-up sound, and you know, it uh, took days to torrent a film. Are you serious? For me, yeah. it took seven hours. No, seven hours was just—it was a good day. Like the internet <laughs> was having a good day. <laughs> I know, and in fact, um, there were there would be days when I would put a, a movie for download. So I remember putting uh, Pirates of the Caribbean three, mm-hmm. which came out in two thousand seven, for download. Um, and I was gonna wait like I mean it, it would take all night but then my granddad wanted to save the internet uh, modem from heating up so he turned <laughs> it off and so I woke up in the morning went to my computer and it was like only 3% are downloaded I was like oh my god <laughs> but it, it did expose us to this huge culture I remember when I was a kid and I still get teased by my cousins for this I used to watch BBC News and then I would um download all the films that were nominated in the Oscars foreign category and there was this like World War II Polish film that broke the charts in I think 2008 and I was that kid but I was allowed to explore that intensely nerdy side of myself Mm. because of the internet. Yeah and uh, me as well I think my love for cinema came from that early exposure and that's partly thanks to my dad who uh, rented DVDs and showed me a lot of the good stuff but it was also you know from that start sort of uh, googling stuff on my own finding these movies finding a torrent to download it and finally watching them on my own time right so while the other kids were playing outside I was just watching movies of course yeah it's what you still do but you know let's switch gears a little bit right like so in our like in my line of work as a journalist, I write a little bit about things like privacy and data, and I think we've all heard enough about these scandals that you've that have kept you up at night, that have made you depressed, right? Given you this existential angst about <laughs> the world wide web. But wh- how can we have this conversation in a productive way? Like as I was preparing to come here to have this chat with you, I was like, what can we say that hasn't been said? We've read so many scathing indictments of Facebook with regards to the Cambridge Analytica scandal. Um, you can walk us through some of the stuff that's happened. Yeah, so uh, just, you know, quick cliff notes for anyone who uh, has been living under a rock. Uh, Russia hacked the US election through Facebook ads. Uh, Cambridge Analytica gave out that uh, data about you know, uh, about 87 million people on Facebook to Russia, um, uh, sorry, to the Trump campaign. And then uh, there was so many other scandals like the George Soros scandal, the September and December 2018 hacks, but also things that were happening outside the US. But I want to stop here and just really like talk about Sheryl Sandberg for a second, <laughs> because, you know, in the early, I don't know, like the 2010s or whatever, when she wrote Lean In, right. she was this woman that everybody wanted to be, right? Like Silicon Valley was exploding. Here was this older woman, um, not as young as the founders of that generation. Yeah, and there was also um she also wrote another book with a pen professor of ours actually adam grant who i've not taken classes with it's called uh, plan b or option b um and her she also uh, garnered a lot of sympathy in the public uh because her husband passed away because Mm. of a terminal illness so she uh, fell down on his treadmill and died oh really yeah oh i didn't okay (laughs) my bad yeah. Um, so because of that, she was seen in the public as this figure who stood for these ideals, like you're saying, with Lean In um, and with this extremely personal story. But she was also this headstrong and uh, very confident, very uh, charismatic woman in the tech industry uh, who stood out from, like you said, all these tech bros who mm-hmm. basically in hoodies hacked their way to success. And then, you know, you, we find the New York Times report about how she was involved with uh, some of Facebook's scandals and how she, you know... 
got very like angry and abrasive towards an employee who kind of pointed out the security breaches yeah no and um, uh, i actually read her response to uh, the head of communications who resigned after the soros scandal gave a big explanation of what happened and her response was that you know when i read the news about the soros scandal and this firm that we had contracted mm-hmm. i didn't I didn't know that we were working with them. So she was basically cleaning her hands of the whole thing and basically saying it's your fault yeah. because he he accepted responsibility for that for for that scandal taking place. Yeah. And and then you know like you you were saying earlier the stuff that's happening outside of uh, the US, right? Like yeah. we have um Indian elections coming up and the the spread of fake news and we saw this last year with the Karnataka uh, general elections right and a lot of people have predicted that 2019 in India is going to be the year of the WhatsApp elections right so we find these forwards that are spreading carrying fake news but that look like they're very credible and they have the incredible power of swaying uh, undecided voters mm-hmm. then we have Myanmar where you know the, the, a great percentage of the access to internet is thanks to facebook's uh free basics yeah free basics uh, or open basics yeah. i think yeah and uh, so so a lot of the uh, rohingya uh, hatred was spread through facebook right Can and uh, organized by senior members of the uh, military Ma- myanmar military yeah and then closer to home for me sri lanka where we recently had a spurt of violence against muslims which was also fueled by social media and social media was actually temporarily banned for a few days in the country because people were afraid that um you know it, uh, fake news would spread or that uh, targets would be falsely um created mm. you see all of this in your like and just one mm. one one more quick one the mm. the lynchings that happened because of uh, the spread of fake news on whatsapp yeah, re- regarding a kidnapping that, yeah that to me is just unconscionable and one of one of the beatings happened in chennai this uh, these maharashtrian nomad uh, nomadic tribe was walking around asking uh, for arms and asking for money and at a market you know they were just talking to a kid repeatedly and the the mob mentality kicked in people thought they were trying to kidnap the child and they started beating them up yeah and you know so in in my like a little bit of my for a few of the articles i've written i've asked people about this right i'm like what is it about social media and the internet that has made this such a rampant problem and everyone's talking about the fact that it is existing human nature that has been allowed to exponentially multiply we have these biases already there's something about the framework of social media that just makes it that much more powerful or impactful mm-hmm. which also then brings us to the question of responsibility a lot of this the internet today is built on an advertising model it, it used to be i remember a friend of mine said to me like sindhu so what because <laughs> when i go on facebook i'm getting ads for the stuff that i actually like those promoted videos of uh, people cooking stuff is stuff that i'm into it's it's so curated it's so personal <laughs> she likes it basically and i think um if you asked a hundred millennials on the street uh, and people who are familiar with Facebook now about whether they're fine being served ads based on the data that Facebook is collecting about them mm. I think you'd you'd get like 99% of them saying yeah sure I'm totally fine with that because I get to use this free service mm. and then you have 1% people like us who are like uh oh, what's actually going on Yeah and so there's this interesting article maybe we'll put it in the show notes it's from 2014 and I find it weirdly prophetic where this um founder called Ethan Zuckerman mm-hmm. says that the internet's original sin was building this ad-based model because what we're doing is we're exchanging our information and we're creating this behemoth of data 
that we don't really know what people are going to do with mm-hmm. because it's so real time. And the question is, what role are the founders playing in this? Does Zuckerberg know or did he ever know that these are the ways in which his data could be used? Right. Because it's happening so fast and the whole culture of the Silicon Valley startup era is that you need to scale. Like, let's just pump and pummel and plunder. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's acquire our competitors. Let's hire the best talent. Let's build these uh, products as quickly as we can and deploy them so that we can keep growing, keep growing until no one can catch up. Yeah, and then also, which what we saw with the congressional hearings in the US, we there were hearings in the UK. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting um, series of hearings in Singapore, actually, where they got representatives from these companies. Mm-hmm. The most prominent one was the US because Zuckerberg actually spoke in it. And you see these senators who are like trying really hard to wrap their heads around the internet because right. first we need to process what's happening before we start regulating it, right? And they're like, bah, 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 you know, like... Yeah, and I think, you know, there are these clips of these senators being like, uh, well, if you don't charge people, how do you make money? Mm-hmm. And Zuckerberg is like, well, Senator, we run ads. Yeah, like- <laughs> and the senator just, you know, he smiles at him and Zuckerberg smiling back creepily. Yeah. And um, it's 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 really scary. Like it's it's not funny. And- no, and the other thing with regards to uh, the government and these tech companies is that these tech companies are the largest spenders of lobbying for their interests. Mm-hmm. Right? They want to make sure that um, uh, any regulation that's brought uh, around them is sort of thwarted early on. They've hired these professional uh, lobbying groups, like mm. in the case of the Soros case, um, and they've outspent Wall Street, basically, in Congress and in the Senate. And that's very sinister, almost. And it's it has repercussions that go far beyond. But, you know, like... I'm Nikhil, I'm like really like trying to wrap my head around this, right? Because I was like, are we being too paranoid by even having this conversation? Because I mentioned it to a friend of mine this morning and he was like, bro, like take all my data. <laughs> like it's too late anyway. Um But I think that's the carelessness and that's that's I think the uh, frivolity with which we're treating this that I think is uh that I think is most surprising, right? Because mm-hmm. If you walked up to someone in 2008 when I was a teenager and I signed up on Facebook and you told me that if I signed up on this service, this company would know where I was at all times. It would know what my likes are and therefore it would be able to know what I will like in the future. Hmm. Um, It would also uh, know, it would be able to find out whether I was living with my parents, whether I was living by myself and would need a loan in the future. It can predict your sexual orientation. It, could, it can predict my sexual orientation. It can, if I'm female, can predict whether I'm pregnant or not and uh, deliver ads based on that. If you painted a picture like that to me and then said, would you sign up for it? Would I have signed up for it? Yeah. But because they've become so embedded and so ingrained in our lives, uh, it's sort of um, bringing the most important question after everything is completed. It's sort of saying, after I've committed a, a crime, coming and saying, oh, well, you committed a crime and now, you know, you, there are consequences to that. But I don't know what those consequences are. It's probably a bad analogy. No, it, it, it works. But I think the reason we're struggling with these analogies is because... We don't know. <laughs> like, does that, I mean, so this is, you You love him. You are the one who alerted me to Tim Wu, a Columbia University law professor. He wrote in his book. Uh, um, he's also the man who coined the term net neutrality. Yeah. And he wrote in his book, The Attention Merchants. Um, Facebook's billions of users worldwide were simply handing over a treasure trove of detailed demographic data. 
and exposing themselves to highly targeted advertising in return for what exactly? What we are gaining is not nearly as much as what Facebook and Google are gaining from selling that information and right. using it for advertising. Like the jokes actually on us, even though we get to like keep in touch with our friends and see what they're up to on spring break. <laughs> but the other the other thing is like so there's this website called socialcooling.com which is a little chilling as as the title indicates yes it's it's quite chilling <laughs> and it it's it's basically this warning right it says oil like oil leads to global warming mm-hmm. data leads to social cooling <laughs> great copywriting <laughs> so um it basically says like if you know you're being watched if you know that every move of yours is being tracked for instance if you keep location on in your google maps you can go to timeline and see where you were at any given time and i went back like 5 years to when i was living in canada and i saw every day on which i attended rehearsal for a play that i wrote and i knew which time i took the bus to leave when i got to the subway station and all of that if you know you're being watched you change your behavior and you're going to do things like self censor you're going to edit yourself and that's going to stifle your freedom of expression absolutely and the other thing that uh, the other side effect of uh, knowing that you're being watched and not doing anything about it is that you become uh, you basically become desensitized and another book that i think both of us have sort of uh, briefly read is the age of surveillance capitalism mm. by shoshana zuboff which has recently come out and she paints a picture where all the decisions that we make in the future because of the data these companies have collected about us are actions that are technically not our own because the smart machines that we have all around us that are connected and know our patterns know us better than we do and so are able to trigger actions within us that we don't really have control over so then the question of free will and the question of how much are we in control of our actions really comes up and i think these are questions that we don't really have any a historical use case to compare them to because the magnitude of the data that's being collected is so vast and unprecedented. Mm. And I think like I keep going back to this over and over again which is that now that you have all of my data so what, right? And part of the fear is we don't know so what. Um and I wonder if the founders know so what either. Like did Zuckerberg know what he was unleashing? And it's like this weird version that these tech companies if you compare them to the financial um companies of like from before the recession just before the recession yeah the yeah. banks that were too big to fail mm-hmm. are these tech companies too big to blame are they too essential to blame are they too fun <laughs> to blame What's the worst that can happen out of this, right? What is the most apocalyptic scenario? One is that the bad guys steal all this data and do something with it. What's another situation? Well, something that, you know, we've read about recently that I think uh is a is a picture of the worst case scenario is what is going on in China. They they're doing trials with uh, a social credit system which essentially takes all the data from all the different networks that you're on, um uh, including social media, your dating profiles, and it basically comes up with a score 
and that score is used to determine whether you can uh, get a loan uh, you're sold a car uh, for EMIs um, and also whether you know you're allowed to uh, get a house in a certain part of the neighborhood uh, and and I think you know obviously there's some it's it's all it's only in its pilot phase right and there are different pilots going on so there are ones run by and financial but also by the chinese government uh, but what the chinese government is also doing is it's taking the data from these private uh, corporations and using that to inform its you know experiment and so you know when you have an authoritarian and uh, dictatorial government like china doing that it mm-hmm. only enforces their power and makes them more repressive and more uh, totalitarian when it comes to their relationship with their citizens. And then if you look at India right now, the Indian government is also looking to censor the internet in similar ways where they want to impose their control over what people see, which is what China has been doing for a long time. And so if you take that to its eventual end, who knows where it can go? Obviously, I mean, I'm a paranoid guy talking in 2019 here, but these are real scenarios that we need to keep in mind if we want to have valuable conversations about data and what we need to do in the future to prevent those worst case scenarios from happening. So what do we do? Do we go the antitrust way? Do we, you know, rely on regulators um, like the European Union, like political forces like they have done? with the gdpr yeah to kind of say hey listen and you know huge fines have been levied against google for instance the largest yet in terms of you know what they do to do all like i mean like so people so political actors are kind of trying to reckon with things with these changes as they're happening right and one solution is antitrust just break these things up Right. Because, uh, and again, Tim Wu talks about this in a recent uh, book that he wrote, The uh, the Curse of Bigness, right? Mm. Where if Facebook had not bought Instagram and WhatsApp and were not allowed to buy those companies because that would offer competition in the market, then, you know, people flock to, flock to Instagram at the time. And Instagram mm. was seen as this cool, hip, you know, startup that was competing with old dinosaur Facebook, right? And because Facebook bought that, they basically ha- have the whole social media game now. I mean, no one uses Snapchat anymore. So you either you're either on Facebook or you have FOMO by not being on it. Yeah, and also Facebook reneging on its promise to not to keep these things independent and to keep WhatsApp uh, totally encrypted and not uh, and ad free. Yeah, and so so if it is very openly not sticking to its word, how much do we trust these companies? But I think with what we saw with Microsoft and the whole antitrust issue. Mm-hmm. Um, antitrust, there aren't many examples of it working very successfully yet in the tech industry. Right. So this is something that lawmakers are kind of reckoning with as we go along. But the power of lobbying and the power of just big tech is so strong that we really like need to kind of see where it goes and whether it's 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 a lot more than we can take on and it's also because these tech companies started in one place and became the everything of everything mm. it's hard to say you know whether they're stifling competition in any one industry that they are in right because as amazon not only do they sell you books and apparel and whatnot but they also fund the infrastructure of the internet through amazon web services yeah and and like that gizmodo article by a woman recently who tried to go off of these you know big five tech um, services one of which was amazon and she realized that if she wanted to go off amazon entirely she had to 
co- stop using the websites that were hosted by AWS and that was like that includes Netflix, Hulu, Spotify, um I think Uber so all these different services that you don't associate with Amazon are associated with Amazon because of the cloud yeah, and because you, of uh, they need server space basically and if you stop using um, Google you can't use Uber because their maps are connected to Uber. exactly so just like turn off the lights <laughs> and like crawl into bed and don't come out exactly i mean when you take that kind of approach to seeing the influence of these companies in the internet you see how um that open environment that we grew up in in the early 2000s has sort of clustered around these huge corporations that have that people didn't realize how big they would become right they didn't real i mean no one could foresee something like aws taking over so much of the internet no one could see google maps as becoming the go-to maps tool for all your delivery courier and transportation services right so these and i think you know because um, the internet has even from its inception it was created as a military uh, networking tool mm-hmm. to connect different arms of the us military together because it started out that way and it's now become it's an entirely different thing that the researchers at arpanet uh, at arpa which was the research agency that made the internet those researchers didn't even see that coming right so mm-hmm. so i think we've gone down a path of the internet where we realize we shouldn't be going further mm-hmm. we should sort of take take stock of the situation look around where we are take a step back and go in a new direction so let's talk about that new direction right like where do we go and one article that i kind of read that helped me think about this was the ringer article about how stanford is this farm that produces or generates talent for silicon valley and how a lot of these computer science students are getting disgruntled and one of their issues is that even the ethics classes that they have within the department don't have enough data because it's happening in real time it's not like you have a 200 year um collection of anecdotes and incidents to kind of look through and be like that was right this was wrong this was ambiguous and part of the reason for that is stanford's association with silicon valley i mean so many of these startups were born in the in these labs yeah. right i mean evan spiegel was developing snapchat when he was in a student at stanford yeah and and so this the the facebook guy who was yelled at by sheryl sandberg alex stemos he says Um one thing that he says is a problem is that the problem is that not people are making decisions that are straight up evil is giving the benefit of doubt <laughs> the problem is that people are not foreseeing the outcomes of their actions and part of that is a lack of paranoia one of our problems in silicon valley is we build products to be used the right way so how do you know when it's not used the right way like did anybody like did the person who was developing whatsapp say i want a person to use this to lead to like lynchings in india Mm, mm, mm. It's it's just they did not envision the many ways in which it could be used. Right. And I think um just calling attention to the fact that WhatsApp sent a representative to meet with the BJP and Congress parties to say you can't use our service for this propaganda. It's just not what it was built for is ludicrous. Or that WhatsApp for the first time ever had to have a country director in India because of what was happening right. and a grievances officer. who as it turns out is either indian or of indian origin <laughs> and surprise surprise twitter followed suit they have a focus group in india now yeah and be- because i mean we see what's happening with politics in india right and that's just it's stunning it's become a digital election every election is becoming 
so digital. Yeah, but coming back to the idea of ethics, and I think that Ringer article, which we link to in the show notes, does help you understand the problem that Silicon Valley is facing, right? Which is an identity crisis. Mm-hmm. That you had, a, you have a startup mentality that says move fast and break things, right? But at what cost? at the cost of your consumers uh dealing with uh, a product that even you don't know uh you know you haven't really thought through and you haven't really tested out all the different scenarios in which it can be used right so i think that article and uh, some other um thoughts that have been circling around in think pieces about the idea of um move moving slow instead of moving fast and mending things or you know just creating things slowly let things take time because you can't really anticipate what's going to happen if you keep moving fast mm. and you know i've heard this analogy of how um, the, these tech companies are seen as parents who mm-hmm. give birth to children so zuckerberg is the father and facebook is the child and you're like is it really your fault if your child is a serial killer right um did you plan for it did you intend it but i think that analogy is a bit weak because um the products have a lot more intentionality in them right and and we've seen how code can be biased algorithms can be biased yeah and also because freaking facebook is not a living thing dude <laughs> like take responsibility for it right and that is for instance there's a bbc report from last year that studied these uh, service agreements that you you know like terms and conditions that you sign up for before you register and the minimum age for facebook for instance is 13 so 13 year old is confronted with reams of things which they can possibly ask their parents to help them read but mm-hmm. honestly how many of us have done that <laughs> and the report found out the study found out that these terms and conditions were written at university level reading um standards right and it was as hard as reading charles dickens um i think it was the tale of two cities oh my god <laughs> so would you rather read tale of two cities or the terms and conditions that's, and you you agreed so to a crazy. lot of crap right you agreed to so many things i have never in my life read a terms and conditions thing in its entirety because i would still be reading it i would be late for this meeting because <laughs> i would still be reading Yeah and I mean I'm sorry of being guilty of this but I'm the guy who scrolls through and just clicks I accept and you know moves on with their lives. Yeah. But I guess that's where we are now. I guess and um, what what great um, conclusions do we have Nikhil? <laughs> well, I'm actually hopeful for the future after this conversation Sindhu because although I'm generally upset I am hopeful because I think I think this these conversations and this crisis this internet crisis is necessary mm. for us to sort of reshape what the internet is and reshape our relationship to it i think i will say goodbye to the internet i wanted mm. but i will welcome the internet that i have and i will look forward and think of ways in which we can build a better internet for all of us involved and i think it's going to require work not just from the companies not just from the governments and not just from the consumers it's going to require all three stakeholders working in tandem because it affects all three of us equally yeah i'm going to find some really melodramatic music to <laughs> accompany this but you know one last thing that i thought that i have is like i have this imposter syndrome when we're talking about this right because i'm like i'm not a tech person i haven't started a scalable startup um 
what right do I have to talk about these things? I always feel like I'm missing out some big philosophy. I haven't done enough reading about this topic. I'm like, am I qualified enough to to be a part of this conversation? Well, I mean, your show is on the internet. Exactly. And we are users of the internet, right? And I am guilty as charged when it comes to data privacy. I'm, I'm not the most paranoid person. I do a lot of things on the internet. I use, you know, like I buy toothbrushes on Amazon. You have all your permissions on for yeah, all like, your take apps. It, take, take it, it all, take it, it all. <laughs> read my texts, you know. But I think I think that's what it is. Like being paranoid is 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 I think a necessary condition of of the times we live in. And um yeah, so we'll, we'll see how it goes, I guess. <laughs> What's your art recommendation for this week? Well, Sindhu, I spent a lot of time doing the research needed for this discussion on the internet. And so... How, how many hours did you sleep last night? Let's not get into that. <laughs> but uh, I I highly recommend checking out that Gizmodo series that we spoke about. Yeah. It's called... Um, I think it's called I Cut Off the Five Big uh, Tech Giants or something along those lines, written by Kashmir Hill. Mm. Um, and so... The reason why I think people should check it out is just to see the how entrenched these companies are in our lives. And, you know, for example, she talks about, we gave you the AWS example. Mm. There's also an example where she goes traveling with her husband and daughter um, uh, to an Airbnb and she forgets the lock code because to access the Airbnb website, that was also using AWS. And mm. so she wasn't able to get the code again. So she just remembered some random numbers and tried multiple variations and got in. Mm. So that's like a real life example of like how, you know, how we rely on our devices so much. Yeah. Um, and there's also accompanying videos for each uh, episode. Like one week it's Apple, next Facebook, Google, etc. So yeah. highly recommend you yeah, check it's, that it's out. Great. It's great. Yeah. And what about you, Sindhu? So I'm kind of going to stay in the tech space and this dystopia kind of thing, but also recommend uh, something that's good reading as a thriller, which is a recently released book by Evan Ratliff, who is um, the host of the long form podcast. He has he founded a website called The Atavist and uh, it's a news website. And mm -hmm. he talks about this one particular person, Paul LaRue. Um, a South African who, out of the Philippines, he ran this like drug empire. Whoa. But not like, he was basically on the edges of the law. He was selling prescription drugs to American consumers mm -hmm. using um, like doctors and pharmacists from across the country, like your mom and pop pharmacists. So he wasn't using the dark web? He wasn't using it. It was all on, on the web. And oh, wow. the, the DEA took like, six years or something to just find a case or like to find a hook to like pin him down. Oh my God. And um, so the argument that Paul, Paul Evan Ratliff makes. <laughs> the <laughs> argument that Paul. Yeah. The, the argument that Evan makes in his book is that, you know, Paul LaRue's story is very similar to that of other startup founders like Mark Zuckerberg and um, uh, Elon Musk. And also that, you know, he is very much a product of the internet age. He just took it into the space of drug cartels and all of that. And it, it's it's really interesting to see how internet has influenced crime. And Paul LaRue is one of the developers of what became the precursor for encryption, of, of widely used encryption software today. Oh, wow. Which Edward Snowden used 
uh, when he was whistleblowing. Mm. So, but because he released it using open software principles, he didn't make any royalty money off of it, and he was very disgruntled. <laughs> and he, so, I'm not going to spoil the story. I mean, you can always Google it to find out what happened to Paul Larue. So, the book is called Mastermind. Awesome. Yeah. So, would it be fair to say that Paul Larue moved fast and broke the law? Simple? Yeah, he scaled really fast. Uh, it looks like. <laughs> Creating Life is produced and hosted by me, Nikhil Venkatesa, and Sindhuri Nandakumar. Our episodes are recorded at Aura Studios in Chennai. Our associate producer is C. Kirinan and recording engineer is Siddharth Das. You can follow our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, and every other major podcast platform. And you can also email us at creatinglifepodcast at gmail.com. If you have any feedback, show ideas, or if you would like to be featured on the show, just write to us. Thank you and keep creating. Our episodes are recorded at Aura Studios in Chennai. Our associate producer is C. Girinand and recording engineer is Siddharth Das. You can follow our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and SoundCloud. You can also email us at creatinglifepod at gmail.com. That's creatinglifepod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. If you have any feedback, show ideas or you would like to be featured on the show, please reach out to us. Uh, thanks again for listening and keep creating. And thank you, Nikhil. Thanks, Hindu. Bye.